This episode contains depictions of violence that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. throat and voice Mm -hmm. phone calls phone calls picked up today at work so i like spent the majority of the day talking Mm -hmm. and i'm like i just now realized i still haven't heard from the speech people oh that i'm supposed to get hooked up with for my speech therapy now i'm like do i just go ahead and call them and be like you guys are you gonna schedule me (laughs) hello help (laughs) <laughs> I need help. My poor sad voice. That lazy larynx. It's it's so broken. It's so broken. <laughs> it's just it's like all of my connective tissue. Oh, I love the alliteration though. Laura's lazy larynx. <laughs> <laughs> Man, sometimes it sure feels like it cuz it's like when I think about the vocal cords, the way he kind of was like, if you've got Ailer Stanlos, this is just, it is what it is. Right. It made me think of like, anytime I've had to explain my shoulders to people. Yeah. And I'm like, you've got your your socket. Right. And the bone and like, it stays in there and it moves, you know, how it needs to move. Right. But like, mine's so loose that it's just always like out a bit always every like and i i have like i can literally if you stand next to me i you hear me pop it back in and i'm just like that's my larynx those are my vocal cords it's flappy little the throat vaginas throat vaginas uh, so we have had quite the last three days in the last three days we have recorded Man. three episodes <laughs> we we're finally like ahead like i know we just had to skip a week y'all that like <laughs> you had to give us that to get ahead <laughs> like truly honestly um yeah. ahead we're really like actually behind but we're calling it ahead <laughs> no we, we um, are so we had our l- listener stories go out this last saturday and then yep. the day after that, we recorded our next witchy episode, which is going to be Amazeballs. Um, should we should we say what it is? What we did? Uh, wait, when is this going out? This is going out Wednesday. Wednesday. Two days. In yeah. two days. So, yeah. Um, we can start teasing yeah. everything. Yeah. We can tease it. Um, so, we got to sit down with a witch extraordinaire best-selling author Veronica Varlow on her latest book Bohemian Magic and it was it was amazing so magical it, yeah <laughs> we can't we can't say any other words other than just amazing and magical um it's definitely a must tune in that will be going out um next week so a week from today but we're finally that puts us a week ahead now of episodes which is great for me because it's like less pressure for my editing because usually we're recording this like tuesday night and i'm up late Mm -hmm. editing to get it you know all 
ready to release Wednesday morning. We really inched that back. We, we used to be all about like Saturday, Saturday. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's push it to Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> and then Monday. Monday. All right. So it's Tuesday. Okay. Tuesday? This week's been crazy. So Wednesday, the day that's supposed to come out, let's record Wednesday. You know, this week has been crazy. Thursday. You know what? Actually, I have something going on Friday night. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. It's both of our lives have been just hectic and you know one reason valid reasons after another but um i think we were blessed with the way that this weekend panned out yeah to be able to finally get ahead so you should be expecting more appropriately like normally scheduled (laughs) episodes wednesdays that's what we told you guys we're gonna try to stick (laughs) to it now um so yes um I don't know if I announced because I feel like I've just been like tiptoeing around it. I don't think I have. But one of the reasons that I have been so busy and a little preoccupied is because Gavin and I are closing on a home. Oh, yeah. I don't think you have. Yeah. I mean, you've known for a while, but I haven't. I've just been like tiptoeing around it. I assume if I know, everyone knows. Yeah, no, I I haven't <laughs> mentioned it. I realize on on the podcast I've been a little like I didn't want to jinx it when it was like really early on for us. Yeah. You know, we hadn't even signed a purchase agreement. We had only had our spot like reserved, so we we got a house that's like a new construction. So we're really excited. Um, but yeah, so we'll be moving into our new home at the end of December, which is really exciting. That's- wild that's early i thought it was gonna be a little bit later they officially like well close of escrow is estimated like the goal that the listing agent Mm -hmm. has told us that close of escrow will be december 15th and that's virtually the day that you're like handed the keys like you've signed all the papers this place is yours here are the keys um but you know we're just saying at the end of december because you know just in case something with escrow we have to like extend it for whatever reason and also we have appliances coming in that won't be delivered until late december so we won't even be able to really live there until probably january like we'll slowly be having your first christmas there yeah no um we'll be having still christmas here at my folks where we're currently living um, which is fine too, because it works out. I, we have family visiting, so it'll be, you know, we'll right. be here spending more time with the family that's visiting and, um, and it gives us time. We're in a good situation where it's not like we have to move in at a certain time. We don't like have rent. So we'll just right. slowly move our stuff in until, uh, until we finally get those appliances and then we can actually be based out of there. Did they get the flooring all done? um they haven't no i actually listen the universe works in beautifully mysterious ways i feel like right now all my vibrations are harmonizing or something like everything is aligning (laughs) because like i caught like something happened by chance that i caught like an error with my dress when it was ordered and i and i was able to fix it and then um the flooring that we were going to get I wasn't crazy about the color of the wood it's like a very rustic dark gray wood oh like a very weathered 
I like that. But oh, I, yeah, I get what I you can, mean. But yeah, but not particularly my style. It would have, right. it didn't add a lot of warmth. I wanted something that was a little warmer. Yep. Um, they told us that like, oh, production or stock for that initial uh, laminate flooring is like backed up or whatever. So we're going to give you an actual like upgrade of something that's in stock right now um, without having to pay for the little upgrade. And we're like, fuck yeah. Ooh. And now we're able to get, we were able to pick the color of our flooring. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it all worked out. So we're going to get like a nice kind of like warm, natural oak mm-hmm. color. Um, so it's going to be really nice and definitely add a lot of warmth to the home because like everything else was like white, gray tile. Yeah you know, silver, like, door drawer pulls and stuff. So everything was very, like... Are you going to paint? I don't know. We'll get in there. And I'm, like, okay. in my head, I'm just thinking about, like, furnishings because we... This is actually the first time that Gavin and I will be living just the two of us together. Right. So the first time we'll actually be merging all of the stuff we have. So let's see what we have between right. the two of us. Um, but, no, we're stoked that, you know, it's it's all coming together. Um, we visited the home yesterday and saw that it had like a fresh coat of paint. They just started like the white trim, so it's starting to look real sharp. Our little like baby, Aww. yeah, a little baby home. I like. I relooked up the address again because mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know why something sparked it. Because I don't the the thing made it look like it was in one area, but then I I plugged in the address elsewhere, mm-hmm. and it's literally one block over from one of my former clients. Oh, really? Yeah, and they it would they had like god like back when I first started this was years ago they were starting to build some houses and then they mm-hmm. kind of like stopped. Um And yeah. so I don't know. It's just very it's a nice little neighborhood. It's a nice little neighborhood and it's kind of full circle because it's the same neighborhood that me and my parents first lived in when we first moved to California. Mm-hmm. Like I literally learned how to bike and roller skate in those streets. And now that's where I'm buying my first home. And that's where your babies will learn, too. I know. Let's see. Fingers crossed. Um, but, yeah, we're going to start with fur, fur babies. Always, then, you know, I think that is excellent. Not, yeah. not enough people start with fur babies, I've noticed in my life. Listen, it is astonishing and it's a crime how long I've gone without owning a cat. It's, it's, yeah. it's truly, it's... You know, I have my wish list on my reminders app that I've shared with my family for so that they know like things that I'm I'm wanting to get yeah. whenever a birthday or a holiday rolls around, right? And then right. there's like this and that, this handbag, blah blah. blah and at the end, it just says a goddamn cat. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but but my mom will, would never allow a cat in her house. So now I can yeah, have one. Why? Oh, she just doesn't like them. Like, she can tolerate them, but but she she grew up, like, in Dominican Republic when she was growing up, like, no one had cats. They were just feral, or you just use them to keep the rats away. The only acceptable pets were, like, fish in aquariums and dogs. And it's only, it's actually only just now that in Dominican Republic, people have cats as pets. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. So she doesn't like understand the appeal because, <laughs> of course, all of her experiences with cats are literally like feral cats, street cats. Yeah. 
Yeah, I could see that. But it's okay. I mean, I'm I like cats. I mean, between cats and dogs, I'm definitely a dog person, but I've had cats before and we thought about getting a cat here uh, before we realized you know, our road is just too busy and we can't mm. keep it we're not going to can't keep it inside all day. Yeah. Um and we would like we thought about getting a barn cat too cuz we were mm-hmm. like we have mice and rats and it would be nice to keep them away, but the road is just what decided it for us and Yeah, you guys have a busy road. Yeah. Yeah. But you need a cat. I need a familiar. God damn it. You need a Noden. <laughs> oh my gosh. Y'all, we found this cat online. I was just like browsing this res- local rescue that, um, you know, I've been interested to like get one of the cats when I have the opportunity from them. And they have this black Persian cat with these like bright golden orange eye. One eye, and his name is Odin, and it's like the most perfect thing. And the only reason old man whiskers, yes, just like that, you know, (laughs) grumpy expression that Persian cats have, and and then like this profile, it's like he's a total cuddle bug and love bug. So his personality is truly perfect, except for the fact that he does not do well with dogs. And I know for a fact that Gavin and I will eventually get a dog. So it's. Yeah. Not gonna work out with Odin, but if anyone is interested, I will link Odin. If you're yeah. in the San Francisco Bay Area, I'll link his profile on this rescues page for anyone who's interested. Because listen, other than him not getting along with dogs, he sounds like the dream the cat dream. for me. Yeah, personality wise, like, and <laughs> oh my god, what a personality! Just physically, one eye, and his name is Odin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, so is there an, any updates with you, or should we just get into the episode? Um, <clears throat> um, I don't know. I've been having some wild dreams lately. Oh, really? Yeah, I had a dream last night about the Bowman family that crashed after driving on this road that was known to be dangerous. Yeah. Um, they were driving granted this is a dream but like (laughs) it was this like bridge however Mm -hmm. you go on the bridge and it's like this major drop off and so they were going just a little too fast they caught air went off the side um and crashed but when they landed like the car they were in the car they landed but when they landed it was them landing on their feet in like this random city at night whoa and the moon was red but then there was like another smaller planet next to it so then they were like i don't know there there was so much detail interesting (laughs) like all day i've just been thinking about the fucking bowman family (laughs) like what happened to them where did they end up i don't know but like part of my dream was that everyone was looking for the bowman family and it was like they were in some sort of like alternate place like a different dimension that's so cool but that those are my dreams i tend to have dreams like that but they've been more so like that lately and what's really kind of cool is a couple weeks ago i had um a reading with jess she's doing something new and she's i'm her guinea pig um just because we know each other so well Mm -hmm. we just vibe when it comes to this kind of stuff because our 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 chop tots 
our charts are so similar. So just to remind everybody, this is just Demetrio from our um, uh, Astrology for Beginners and the Saturn's Return mm-hmm. episodes. Same Jess. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. Love her. So she's offering something new. I think she was she was work she's been trying to work on like how she wants to structure it and offer the readings, but it has to do with um asteroids and goddesses. So cool. And how they show up in your chart. And um we were talking about different goddesses and I was like, I don't really know. Like I'm not really working with anybody. At least no one like mentioned or like has an asteroid named after them. And we talked more and I was like, well, actually, like, I don't know. Like, I have this this thing with Athena with that random dream that I had. And we also mentioned like Artemis and um, both of them show up in my 12th house. And it just led to this really long discussion about subconscious and blah, 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 blah. And like ever since then, I've just been having these really wild dreams that I'm hanging on to. Um, not that I think there's a real Bowman family out there that's gone missing and isn't an alternate dimension, but like <laughs> that I don't know that it that there's something there, at least in terms of I don't know. Interesting. I'm still working it out. All right. But um I'm excited. Like I told her once she's like flushed it out a bit more we'd love to have her on to talk about yeah how that shows up and how you read it and what it means and blah blah because it's just you know we got started talking we talked about everything Mm -hmm. more than just the 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 reading we were doing and god you if you meet just just show her your chart and she's gonna make you feel like the most special person ever yeah she's awesome in that way yeah super we talked about composite charts Oh. I looked at me and Graham Ooh. and like all of our like planets align in the fifth house, which is in Scorpio. And so it just mm. leads to having this like really deep relationship and connection. I looked at you and you and Gavin. Oh, oh you have like, tell. <laughs> so much in the fourth and fifth house. I'm so bad at the houses. Remind me what those are. So fourth, like I immediately when I when she, when I like looked at that, I was thinking you guys are in a really great spot financially. Mm-hmm. You're buying a house. Um, I just you're set. I mm-hmm. think you guys we're both debt free. I mean, uh, until now, until this mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, maybe maybe we can have our own to talk about composite charts. I don't know, That'd but be like, really cool. I just looked for my own, you know viewing after talking with her and i just was like i just know this means really good things (laughs) (laughs) that's so awesome i will um plug in our footnotes some of uh jess's links and whatnot for anyone who wants to check her out please give her a follow or she has a website that's gonna be like ready soon too okay oh awesome because i know she has um like her astrology thing is astereo awakenings Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll I'll Which link. Such a cool. Asteria is Hecate's mother. For anyone who doesn't know. Oh yes, yes is- yes. Awesome. Well, um, we are in our spooky episode, so this is the episode that we will cover true crime and paranormal. I have true crime this week. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> We were just saying before we hit record, like, 
one of these times we're both going to like do both true crime or both paranormal or something on accident. <laughs> but it happens every single spooky week where we're like, wait, I did the right thing, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. So the Hall Mills murder case, for anyone who loves old-timey crime, this is a doozy. And you'd probably enjoy it. Um, this was super sensationalized, very a la 1920s. So our victims are Eleanor Mills and a reverend, Edward Hall. So are they having a relationship? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just I'm picking up some vibes. <laughs> <laughs> like right off the bat. Um, you're not far off, actually. So I will start with the last sightings of the victims. Okay, so on... Up. On the evening of September 14th, 1922. That's my birthday. Oh my gosh, that is. Yeah. Wait, not the year, though. <laughs> not yeah, no. Damn, you look great. <laughs> um, on the evening of September 14th, 1922, Eleanor Mills left her home at 49 Corman Street, New Brunswick, New Jersey. She hadn't told her husband, James, or her two children, Charlotte and Daniel, where she was going, but they all mm -hmm. saw, saw her leave at around 7.30 p.m. Eleanor was, in fact, on her way to a meeting she had arranged earlier that day to meet with the Reverend Edward Hall. Mm -hmm. And they were going to meet, of course, at her local church. The previous year, Edward Hall had actually loaned Eleanor Mills um, money to pay for surgery she and her husband couldn't afford. So Eleanor had a kidney okay. removed. So she had actually an alibi prepared that she was on her way to meet Reverend Hall um, for a payment that she was due to make, was the story. Mm -hmm. So at around the same time that Eleanor leaves her home, Reverend Edward Hall shared a meal with his wife, Frances Hall, and his brother-in-law, William Stevens, before leaving his home at 23 Nicoll Avenue, again in New Brunswick, New Jersey, uh, to head to the church where he was a minister. Um, unlike Eleanor Mills, though, Edward did inform his family where he was going before leaving, and, and he had that same cover story. He said, oh, it won't be too long. I'm just going to go and meet her for this payment thing. Mm -hmm. Later that night, at around 2.30 a.m., the Reverend's wife, Frances, went to get her brother, William, to tell him that Edward had still not come home. So she's getting worried. She asked if her mm -hmm. brother would go with her to see if he was at the church. So upon arriving at St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church, they found that it was empty and dark. Red flags. Um, as they knew, no he had... Huh? <laughs> no moaning. <laughs> yeah, no moaning. <laughs> okay. Um, as they knew, he had met with Eleanor Mills that evening. The brother and sister headed to the Mills home. But then they also saw, saw that the, their, the home was dark, too. They're like, oh, they're probably sleeping. Let's just leave it for the morning and continue searching for Edward then. So Edward didn't return. And by the following afternoon, Frances Hall reported her husband missing. And now, on the morning of September 16th, 
1922. 23-year-old Raymond Schneider and his underage girlfriend, 15-year-old Pearl Bomber. Ew. Yeah, 23 and 15. Yikes. So they were making their way along a little dirt road um, in the same town, New Brunswick, um, which was known as a lover's lane for, obviously, couples to rendezvous together. I'm sure they had plans of their own. And while they're walking (laughs) along this dirt road, they spotted a man and a woman stretched on their backs under a crab tree. A crab apple tree, I mean. Crab apple? Crab apple, yes. This crab apple tree comes up a lot. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) The man was well-dressed in a dark gray suit, (laughs) a white shirt with a stiff white collar, and a white tie. His Panama hat had been placed over his face as though to shield him from the sun. At his side lay the woman, her legs crossed, her head pillowed on her companion's outstretched right arm, and her left hand resting on his knee. She was wearing a polka-dotted blue dress, and the hem of her dress was tugged as far below her knees as the fabric would allow. And um, she had a brown woolen scarf covering her throat. It's very staged. Very staged. Yeah. And making it very clear the relationship between the two. Posing Mm -hmm. them with his arm, like cradling her head. Do it? I don't know. Let's see. All right. I'll listen. (laughs) You know what? Let me just tell you. And then it saves me 40 minutes. Um. (laughs) (laughs) okay so um so these two very inappropriately aged (laughs) couple um raymond and pearl they could tell just at a glance these people were dead um they hurried to the nearest home and they informed the owner who immediately called the police and two police officers were on the scene actually within minutes um, propped against the sole of the dead man's left shoe was his business card, which identified him as Reverend Edward Wheeler Hall, pastor of St. John's Episcopal Church, and a pillar of the community. Do, do reverends really carry business cards? I mean, I guess. Is that old, an old-timey thing? I guess back then it was called the a... next reverend I meet. Back then hmm. it was called a calling card. So maybe it wasn't so much for business, but just, like, cards he would give people if they ever needed to call him. Okay. All right. All right. So as I said, he was married to Mrs. Frances Hall, um, who was seven years his senior, and she was also daughter of one of New Brunswick's most prominent families. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. okay. All um, right, mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. Catching a little bit of the drift here. And the yeah. dead woman at his side, you've guessed it. It was not his matronly 48-year-old wife. I love how that's matronly back in the 22, right? <laughs> um, she was, unfortunately, Mrs. Eleanor Mills, a very pretty 34-year-old who sang in the congre- congregation choir Um. At the church that the reverend was a pastor at. Um, and she mm-hmm. was also, her husband was actually the church's sexton. So for those who don't know, a sexton is pretty much like the caretaker of the church. And the priest. And um, <laughs> looks like, yeah, she took on those duties. 
a little bit, a little bit too well. <laughs> um, if you actually go to page three, yeah. there is an actual photo of the bodies. Oh. Like, that's actually them. Okay. So, right. for years, members of the church had actually suspected um, the affair between the two. Like, it's apparently they were not very inconspicuous about their flirtatious manner. Like, everyone just mm-hmm. knew. Um, and obviously, this confirmed that gossip because at the crime scene, was found a batch of torrid love letters scattered in the grass around the corpses. And they were torn like someone was, like, mad. Um, mm-hmm. the, so the letters pieced together. Um, there's actually, I have some quotes here on some of the things written. So in a letter written by Eleanor, she said, Sweetheart, my true heart. I know there are girls with more shapely bodies, but I'm not caring what they have. I have the greatest part of all blessings, a noble man's deep, true, eternal love. How impatient I am and will be. I want to look up into your dear face for hours as you touch my body close. And there's also letters of his replies. Darling Wonderheart, I just want to crush you for two hours. And I just, that is the most, what? like, dude response. She's, like, super romantic. And he's like, yeah, I want to smash for two hours. <laughs> but no more <laughs> than two hours. Um, I don't know. That just, like, really tickled me. <laughs> but he goes on. I want to see you Friday night alone by our road where we can let out unrestrained that universe of joy and happiness we call ours. And he actually signed okay, so himself. I'm... Okay, go ahead. I just, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, it sounds like she was in love with him. And I think he was just, he was having a good time. It sounds a lot more lustful. She was a good bang. Yeah, it sounds I mean, a lot more lustful than um, her end. I mean, she obviously, like, her letter is also very sensual. But his is a right. little more so. But he did sign it um, DTL which apparently, based on other letters, was short for, I'm sorry, I'm not German, but Diener Truer Liebheiber, which in German means thy true lover. Huh. And um, in other letters, uh, Mrs. Mills, Eleanor, she often referred to him as babykins. Isn't it? It's so interesting with like couples and like how like the universe that they, as they say, like that they do create between each other and like the. Yeah. I'm always interested to hear what people's pet names are for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so though their bodies had been arranged in what was called attitudes of peaceful repose, both victims had met shockingly violent ends. Yeah. Autopsies revealed that the Reverend Hall had been shot at point blank range with a 32 caliber automatic pistol. The bullet entered his head near the right temple and came out at the back on the left side. Mrs. Mills, Eleanor, honey, she had been shot three times in the head. One of the bullets entered the woman's forehead about two inches above the nose. 
um, and this is reported by the New York Times back in the day, another plowed through the right cheek and the third pierced the right temple. And there's actually a little diagram on what page is this? I don't know, page four. Oh, the next one, yeah. Yeah, the next one of um, where... Someone was, like, more mad at her than Mm -hmm. him. Yep. Um, A police officer at the scene noticed that the woman's throat had been severed, obviously probably when they removed that scarf that was conveniently covering her throat. Yeah. And that maggots were already in the wound, indicating that the death occurred at least 24 hours earlier. So they'd been there for a bit. Not a ton of time, but, I mean, enough time for there to be maggots. Her throat had been cut so deeply... That her jugular vein, windpipe, esophagus, and neck muscles were completely severed, and her backbone Ooh. could easily be seen. Yikes. Uh. That's like overkill there. Like, the pastor I mean, I- got a quick execution style, like, just right to the head, and she right. got, like, that was... She got the brunt of, like, that anger and that rage. I was thinking, like, the reverend's wife must have hired family or some somebody to take mm-hmm. care of this. She must have paid extra to have that done. There's, I'm, But I'm jumping ahead. There's clearly... Not jumping def- ahead, I'm guessing. <laughs> it's, like, definitely... It's definitely, like, an emotional act. Yeah. Like, it, there's a lot of emotion and rage behind it. Right. So, the investigation. So, a jurisdictional issue actually complicated the initial investigation. So, as the crime scene was near the border between Somerset County and Middlesex County, it was like this weird gray area. So, New Brunswick, which is part of Middlesex County, those police arrived first. But the crime scene was actually in Franklin Township, which belongs to Somerset County. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those like, <laughs> oh my god, whose responsibility is this? While right. the so while the authorities were trying to suss out okay, whose investigation is this really? News in town had already broken out. Um and Ala 1920s, I mean, if you remember um the Christmas Day murder, Christmas Day massacre mm-hmm. that I covered, which was also in the 20s, Crime like this so grisly was so sensationalized. People came and trampled the scene. They took souvenirs. They passed Hall's, uh, Reverend Hall's calling card among the crowd. Like, everyone was taking a look at it. So, physical evidence was severely compromised. And, obviously, like, the press quickly picked up on this. And it was super sensationalized, adding even more fuel to the fire. Um, The frenzied coverage turned the old Phillips farm where the bodies were found into a major tourist attraction. On weekends, the crime scene became pretty much just like a circus with vendors selling popcorn, peanuts, soft drinks, and balloons to the crowds of people that were there just from, from morbid curiosity. And... It's reported that it got as bad as at a rate of th- a thousand cars a day would come. Ew. Mm-hmm. Back then, that's a shit ton. That's a fuck ton. I mean, even today, but still. Mm-hmm. 
And within the few weeks, here's the crabapple tree again, that tree had been completely stripped of every branch and bit of bark by these souvenir hunters. And then there was even one enterprising individual who peddled samples of the dirt surrounding the now infamous tree for 25 cents a bag. People be cray. People, you know, they've always been cray. And I think people just always want to blame it on the next new thing. But like. This was a thing. This was totally a thing. And it reminds me of like when you listen back to, I mean, that was almost a year ago, that episode. But that Christmas Day massacre, um, Mm -hmm. people came from all over and like took bits of like the cake and stuff. And, you know, so listen, if you like old timey murder like this and, and especially 1920s murders. That's another good one. Um, I'll look up what episode that is later on. But um, so anyways, um, despite one detective's very confident prediction that this crime, this case is a cinch and that it would be solved like, oh, we're going to solve it in in just days now. And that's what he told reporters. This investigation dragged on for weeks. And it was led by Detective Joseph E. Stricker. Police didn't find the murder weapon at the crime scene, though, of course, there is a possibility it was there, but taken by one of the souvenir hunters. Idiots. The business card found at the feet of Edward Hall was also of very little use because, hell, it had been passed around to hundreds of people at the scene. So it was by no means in the state that it was found anymore. Right. Nonetheless, the torn love letters found at the crime scene gave investigators some pretty obvious early suspects. <laughs> Eleanor Mills's husband, James, and Edward Hall's wife, Frances. Despite the affair seemingly been being like common knowledge among locals, especially church parishioners, both of the victim's partners denied any knowledge of the affair. Which is like kind of like, come on. Like, really, if everyone else knew, <laughs> if everyone else had been talking for a while about this, yeah, and no one came up to them, and like, if I just, I don't, I don't buy it, I don't no. buy it, nope, 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 and so, so didn't police, um. So, yeah, they found it difficult to believe, as well as Francis Hall. Um, the investigation began to focus on the possible involvement of Francis' brothers, William, um, a man with a known, like, quick temper. He was a bit of a hothead. And um, her other brother, Henry Stevens. So, William owned a thirty-two caliber revolver. He insisted that he hadn't used the weapon in over a decade. But police still wanted to examine it. They they soon found that William actually was probably telling the truth that it hadn't been used because the gun didn't even work. But I'm like wondering, like, why didn't it work? Could it have been tampered later to not be able to work to cover his story that he hadn't used it? I don't know. Henry Stevens was the older of the two brothers and according to some accounts, a millionaire. But anyway, he... Regardless, he was a wealthy man, whether he was a millionaire or not. He was known as a wealthy Mm -hmm. man. He was also well known for his expertise with firearms and had, in fact, been an exhibition marksman before retiring. Oh. So this led police to wonder, maybe he's the shooter. And Henry lived 50 miles away in Lavalette, New Jersey, 
So that put, you know, a kink in things. Um, because for the night of the Halls Mills murder, he was able to provide what seemed a pretty solid alibi that was backed up by several witnesses. So then that mm-hmm. he was ruled out. Nearly three weeks after the murders took place, police discovered a very interesting um, behavior or like something interesting that Francis, uh, the pastor's wife, did. So less than a week after her husband Edward had been killed, Frances decides to send several items of um, clothing, of her clothing, to Philadelphia. I don't know. Bernat's. I don't know what that is. I guess maybe like a dry cleaning place. I don't know. But Mm -hmm. she requested that the items be cleaned and then dyed black. Oh, yeah. She did it. So, I mean, (laughs) it's... Definitely strange, but obviously it's not strong enough as evidence of anything that she could have done. Like, no one took a look at the clothes, but they learned later that that's what she did. And they're like, hmm, that's interesting. Um, A key eyewitness would come forward. Jane Gibson, who was dubbed the pig woman because she raised Poland China hogs. Oh. So she and her uh, her son, I almost said husband, her son, William, lived in an old barn that had been converted into a living space just off of DeRussi's Lane, which is the, the lane that the murder took place. She told the investigators that her dog was barking loudly about 9 p.m. on the night of the murder. She went outside of her house and saw a man standing in her cornfield. She rode her mule toward Easton Avenue to approach the man. As she got closer, she saw that there were four people standing near a crab apple tree. She heard gunshots, and one of the figures fell to the ground, presumably dead. She testified that a woman screamed, don't, three times. She said she turned her mule in the opposite direction. She's like, yeah, no thanks. Uh, And headed back to her house, and then heard more gunshots. When she looked back at the, the area of the tree, she saw a second person fall down, presumably dead. She testified that she had heard a woman shout the name Henry, which is one of the names of the mm-hmm. um, of the brothers. Police were a little hesitant about Jane Gibson's story. Um, they strongly believed that Reverend Hall had been executed while lying on the ground, unlike the description that Gibson told. Mm-hmm. And also... Um, Jane Gibson seemed to just like her story just wouldn't stay consistent. She would when she was asked oh. to retell it, um, she would add extra details or slightly alter her story each time. Despite initially saying she only saw silhouettes in the moonless night sky, Jane soon added seeing a car parked near the location. And thanks to another car passing by, the headlights allowed her to get a good look at the four individuals. And said that the group consisted of two men and two women. One of the women was wearing a long coat. And one of the men had bushy hair and a mustache. Okay. So they're like, okay, what, why didn't you say this the first time? Right. Um, a further addition to the tale was added on. In a third interview, Jane Gibson stated that at around 1 a.m. She returned to the spot from which she had fled to retrieve an item she had dropped. Under the crabapple tree where the executions took place... She saw a woman knelt beside the body of the male victim, crying as if mourning the, you know, the person killed. And this woman, she said, was the late reverend's wife, Frances Hall. 
So it's kind of getting like more and more specific, more and more yeah. like, you know, it, we don't know, like, is, you know, is she just trying to ride the coattails of this, you know, like getting her 15 minutes of fame right. or something? Um, so although there were obviously some consistencies within her story, it seemed whether talking to the police or the press that some specific detail within her story always kind of changed or was added. Right. Another witness seemed to cast further doubt on Jane Gibson's uh, story. A Mrs. Fraley lived nearest of anyone to the location on DeRussey's Lane where the murder took place. In fact, the spot was even viewable from an upstairs window after the murder. Um, but whether this was the case before all the souvenir hunters took all the shrubs and trees, it wasn't <laughs> certain. So they're like, oh, you can see even like the crime scene, but maybe right. you're only able to see it because all of the shrubbery and the tree is gone. Like that tree yeah. was stripped down to a stump, y'all. A stump. A stump. It was a full-on tree, man. Crazy. <laughs> so, so that part isn't very certain, like the viewability of the crime scene. But what is certain is that when questioned, Mrs. Fraley clearly stated she heard nothing on the night of the shootings, nor did her lodger. Oh. Yeah. And she was the one who's closest. So, I mean, if there were any gunshots, if Jane heard them, she, Mrs. Fraley she would have definitely heard, heard them. them. Yeah. Yeah. She also noted um, that she had spoken to Jane Gibson on the morning of September 15th, and she had made no mention of such an incident occurring the previous night, which was unfitting of Jane's usual talkative and gossipy manner. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, yep, yep. But what's strange, though, is that even Mrs. Fraley's story would change, and actually she would recant and then back up Jane Gibson's story stating that she did in fact hear gunshots that wouldn't come up until the initial trial in November which hmm. was three months after so now two months after the murders the killer's identities remain unknown though the likeliest candidates were the pastor's wife Frances her two brothers Henry and, and William and a cousin, another Henry, was also considered. Mm -hmm. So a grand jury was finally convened in um, November, as I said. After five days of hearings... What? Wait, there's a jury. Who are they charging? Just all the suspects? I don't know. They just had a jury, man. Is that how they did back then? Crazy fools. I guess. They just had, like, this grand jury. I mean, no one was, and that's the thing, like, no one was indicted. Like, the investigation failed to issue an indictment. Right. So, right. you know, Frances was, you know, off the hook, and she promptly thereafter set sail for Europe. And that was that for a while, until four okay. years later. Enter William Randolph Hearst. Ever heard of him? Oh, my God, this entire time I've been like, I should cover the story of Patty Hearst. <laughs> so speaking, yeah. So he had a failing tabloid, which was the New York Daily Mirror. Um, so 
The Daily Mirror isn't doing so good, but in an attempt to boost the tabloid circulation, it dredged up some new evidence in the case and plastered the front page of its July 16, 1926 edition with a sensational headline, Hall Mills Murder Mystery Baird. So what was this evidence? So by July of 1926, the Halls Mills murders had been almost forgotten about. I mean, it's been four years. But on July 3rd of 1926, a piano tuner named Arthur Reel filed a petition for divorce from his wife of 10 months. Inside the petition was the stunning claims that his wife had taken $5,000 from her employer for her assistance and silence about the murders of Edward Hall and Eleanor Mills. The employer was none other than Mrs. Frances Hall. Mm -hmm. Arthur Reel's wife was Louise, who was indeed a former maid of the Halls. Um, she had been uh, she had even given evidence in defense of Francis Hall before the grand jury back in 1922. Oh, that makes so much sense, because I was thinking she must have hired somebody because if she's got people living at home. Everyone would have to be involved to, like, be her alibi mm-hmm. or the fucking maid. OK. <laughs> All right. So um, Arthur claimed his wife had confessed to him that. Um, Edward Hall confided in um, Louise his plans mm-hmm. to elope with Eleanor, like leave Francis and elope with oh. Eleanor. But that Louise being loyal to Francis rather than keeping that confidential, um, she mm-hmm. took that information to his wife, Francis, who, of course, was enraged. Yeah. Um, so Louise actually informed Francis of the spot Edward Hall and Eleanor were to meet. And the adulterer's wife then apparently ordered their chauffeur, Peter Turnalty, to drive Francis and her brother William to the same location. Both Louise and Peter, the chauffeur, furiously denied the allegations against them having any knowledge of the murders after this, you know, tabloid came out. Mm -hmm. Um, Louise claimed her husband had threatened to implicate her in the murders if she didn't get back with him, but her side of the story didn't matter much at this point. Over the course of the following week, after the Daily Mirror's breaking headline, the tabloid trumpeted one frenzied charge after another. The headlines read, Hall's bribery revealed. Mrs. Hall's spies held town in terror, in terror, I mean. Um, and in the third, how hidden hand balked Hall murder justice. I'm not even sure what that means. No. <laughs> but the strategy worked. Not only did the mirror's circulation jump, but its blatant calls for action forced the governor of New Jersey to reopen the case. Good. Yeah. So finally, on January 28th, 1926, Mrs. Frances Stevens Hall, along with her brothers, William and Henry, were, was arrested for the murder of her husband, Edward, and his paramour, Mrs. Eleanor Mills. <laughs> Before the trial, a new autopsy was ordered by the prosecutor on Eleanor Mills. Shockingly, it revealed that Eleanor's tongue and larynx had been cut out. The fuck? Yeah. How this was missed with two prior autopsies is baffling, to say the least. 
Like, how do you how do you not notice that a, a body doesn't have a tongue? Right. <laughs> I I don't know, but mm-hmm. that third autopsy did reveal that. So that was another injury that, um, and mutilation that Mil- uh, mm-hmm. Mills sustained. Um, the trial of the century, as the tabloids, you know, termed it began on the morning of Wednesday, November 3rd, 1926, in Somerville, New Jersey. The courthouse was crammed with hundreds of reporters who would file more than 12 million words during the trial's impressive 23-day run. Even the New York Times, which normally, like, scoffed at such scandalous affairs and matters, not only kept four full-time stenographers on the scene, but actually covered the case more extensively than any other tabloid. Wow. When asked about the seeming contradiction, publisher Adolf S. Ox loftily replied, quote, The yellows see such stories only as opportunities for sensationalism. When the Times gives a great amount of space to such stories, it turns out authentic sociological documents, unquote. So he's like, well, Yeah, we're covering yes. this like sensationalized thing, but we're doing it in like an elevated way. <laughs> right. Um so among the celebrity spectators in this trial were evangelist Billy Sunday, whose campaign against demon rum helped bring about prohibition. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Novelist and playwright Mary Roberts Reinhardt, creator, among other characters, of a caped figure called the Bat, an, an acknowledged inspiration for Bob Kane's Batman. And legendary newsman Damon Runyon, best known as the author of Guys and Dolls. The trial offered more than its share of melodramatic moments, including the public reading of the Reverend Hall's steamy love letters, the questioning of Frances Hall, nicknamed the Iron Widow because of her stoic demeanor during the whole trial, and most sensationally, the testimony of a purported eyewitness, Jane Gibson. And if you scroll down, you'll see a photo of Jane in the courtroom. So at this time in 26, she was dying of cancer, actually. And she was attended oh, by a doctor. I was like, shit, they didn't bring out the victims, did they? No, oh my God. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> they wouldn't look that good either at this point, four years later. But um, they truly, like, attended by a doctor and two nurses. She was wheeled and carried into the courtroom on a stretcher and placed on an iron hospital bed facing the jury box and retold her alleged account of the night of the murders. Wow. However, her own aged mother sat in the front row of the gallery shouting out, She's a liar! She's a liar! (laughs) And, (laughs) real supportive, Ma. Um, (laughs) But, I mean... It seems that this may have been so, that she was a liar. Okay. George Seeple, a neighbor of Jane Gibson's, revealed that the witness had offered him money if he supported her statements. The defense also did their best to paint Jane Gibson as a crazy person who was an unreliable witness. So there's a lot going against Jane. I mean, honestly, if I were to to make the call, I'm going to say that she was also lying. Or at least just exaggerating the fuck about whatever it is that she did see, if anything. Um, Other evidence was presented before the jury. The business card found at the crime scene contained a partial fingerprint belonging to William Stevens, um, Francis's brother, 
according to the prosecution. But the defense argued that that wasn't the case. And even if it was, the card also contained dozens of other prints. And remember, it was passed around a crowd of spectators. Yeah, but like, why would he have been a spectator? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, hey, he could have just said, like, I was just another person curious to see this scene. I mean, it was my brother-in-law. My sister's husband. Yeah, it was my brother-in-law I wanted to see. So, like, why not? I don't know. I was, I could, I could argue that. I'm not a lawyer. I could argue that. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, man, this is so sensationalized. Every morning, Americans followed the case in their daily papers. There was daily coverage about this case. And during the height of the Halls Mills hysteria, only the most extraordinary news could dislodge the trial from the headlines or distract the public from the proceedings. Um, For the defense, both Frances Hall and William Stevens, her brother, took the stand. Both were steadfast in denying having any role in the murders. And the um, other brother, Henry Stevens, um, he has the witnesses to his whereabouts on the night of September 14th. So his alibi was still, or alibi, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. alibi was still airtight. Alibi. Alibi. In the end, the jury believed the widow over the hog farmer. After a month-long trial, which included the evidence of 157 witnesses, the time for talking was now over, and on December 3rd, 1926, after five hours deliberating, the jury returned its verdict. Francis Hall, William Stevens, and Henry Stevens were all acquitted. And they promptly sued the Daily Mirror for defamation for $3 million. It was eventually settled. Yeah, it was eventually settled out of court for an unspecified large amount. But if you're curious, I did look it up. $3 million in 1926 would be almost $46.5 million today. Jesus. Yeah. Greedy. I mean, I get it, but (laughs) greedy. The New York Times coverage of the trial was actually more robust, um, but less sensationalized. They were a little more clinical about it than the Daily Mirror. Mm -hmm. Um, They reported on all aspects of the trial and dedicated more space to the Halls Mills case than any other previous trial in American history. Um, That record actually would soon thereafter be eclipsed by another New Jersey trial. The Lindbergh case, which maybe some other episode will cover. Yeah. Yeah, the Lindbergh case is a big one. Um, In the years following the not guilty verdicts, several confessions to the Halls Mills murders were made. Each one proved to be false. But of those, I will state a few. So in the 90 plus years, well, this isn't actually one of the confessions, but this is a theory. So in the 90 plus years since the murders, I mean, I guess it's almost been, it's been like 99 years. Jesus Christ. Oh my God, it has. Yeah. Next year, next July will be, no, next September, I mean, will be um, 100 years. So, um, but since then, um, Jane Gibson, the pig woman and the main witness has been mentioned as another possible suspect. This idea mainly comes from the fact that her story was ever-changing, which led some to believe that she told it to throw police off of the scent of the true killer herself. But why would she? 
It's a possibility, um, but it seems unlikely because there's little, you know, motive demonstrated for her to have done it. Right. Some have suggested the idea that she could have killed them accidentally, thinking they were trespassers on her land and then staged the scene. But like with the overkilling of poor Eleanor, I highly doubt that she would have gone to those lengths. Right. And also, how does she get her hands on the love letters, right? Yeah, no, that's too personal. Yeah, way too personal. Even for somebody, like, trying to cover it up. Did they ever question her husband? I'll get to that. So, some have suggested the idea um, that... Wait. I I already read that bullet point. Yeah, the stage, the scene, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So... That is hardly what the evidence suggests, the whole, like, the stage scene, especially with Eleanor's throat been slit and tongue removed. Like, Mm -hmm. that's far too emotional. Another theory with no proof is that Gibson was possibly a jilted lover of the reverends. Like, maybe this guy got around and she was jealous that he moved on to Eleanor. In one of the best books written about the Halls Mills murders, author and former attorney William Kunstler offered his own theory. He believed Edward Hall and Eleanor Mills may have been victims of the KKK, who at the period uh, of time were strongly against extramarital affairs. However, Kunstler himself was quick to confess this was only a very speculative theory with little evidence to back it up. Although known for their violence, the Ku Klux Klan at that time had never knowingly killed anyone in the New Jersey area. Now, um, the husband, Eleanor Mills' husband, was looked at, but he also had a very solid alibi. To this day, the Halls Mills case continues to be unsolved. However, I have heard in my research that if you go to New Brunswick, you can actually find tours from a um, local historian who's uncovered some clues potentially. Obviously, you can't find what those clues are online because you got to take the tour to find out. Mm-hmm. Um, but he pretty much like gives you a walking tour of the town, shows you the residences of the victims. I don't think he takes you to the crime scene. I'm not. I can't say for sure though. But I saw like that mm-hmm. tickets for the tour was only like ten bucks per person. Oh, so if you ever make your way over to New Brunswick, New Jersey, and you want to learn more about this case, potentially some additional clues that people have missed. So this guy, he works at the local library and he found stuff Mm -hmm. in like the archives or something um, from like the public record of the investigation. I don't know. But he claims that he has some. Huh? Did he go to police with this? Um, I think so, but it's not like enough. It's just like clues that are enough to spark theories, but not enough to really reopen the case. Like it's more kind of like speculative theories, I think. But I can't be too sure because, again, he's very secretive about what exactly these clues are, because obviously he wants you to take the tour to hear it. Otherwise, why would people take the tour if they can just find it online? Well, can they do a virtual tour? Oh, that'd be cool, right? (laughs) covid so (laughs) but yeah so that's uh that's my case i like it i like it i'm still a little devastated that it wasn't the husband i guess it still could be depending on his alibi i clearly she yeah the wife had a hand i mean it's real sus 
Yeah. Maybe they did it together. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Damn it. Now I'm only going to think about someone has some answers I don't want to (laughs) share. We might never know. We'll know when we die. First question. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I picked a paranormal story that is, it is not a ghost story, but it is something else that made headlines. And it is the Phoenix Lights. Ooh. uh, (gasps) Cool. Aliens. Yes. Love when we do aliens. Aliens. (laughs) All right. The aliens to me are scarier than ghosts and things like that because for some reason ghosts i'm like they're fucking harmless but an alien they're alive they 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 can take you they can do things to you mm-hmm. i mean i'm not actually scared of aliens but i mean if i woke up the concept the of them there, is yeah hmm. it's pretty scary mm-hmm. i think the only movie that has come close to like really making me feel spooked is the fourth kind. Hmm. And that's if you go into it with the mindset of like, this could be real. Have you seen it? Mm-mm. Nope. Oh my God, watch it. I think you referenced it the last time you did like an alien-like story. Probably. <laughs> and yeah, no, I've never seen I it. I like it. I like it. I was bummed that it wasn't a true story, but it really tries to make it sound like it is. Ooh, anyway, cool. anyway, the Phoenix, let's. So back to this story. So during the months of February and March of 1997, there were several sightings of a triangular or boomerang shaped object flying over various areas throughout the American Southwest. Mm -hmm. The Phoenix lights is actually one of a series of those events. So I'll, I'll cover why that is, but it's always the people kind of use that term for the whole thing. Right. So the unidentified flying objects were also observed in the skies of the U.S. states of Nevada and the Mexican state of Sonora. And um, sometimes when people refer to this, they might call it lights over Phoenix, the lights over Phoenix versus the Phoenix lights. Okay. Big difference. Uh, (laughs) A couple of days. (laughs) Laura, big difference. Huge mistake. Um. A couple days before the occurrence of this incident, people at the Naval Hood Reservation were already seeing things in the sky. Hmm. Um, however, they were very quick to disc- discount the those events as just natural occurrences because why wouldn't you? Um, and people on the roads, when this happened, they literally pulled over their cars to witness it because this this was a big deal. Um, and then after these lights passed, they just got back in their cars and left. Like, oh, all right, okay. saw what I needed to see. From 7.30 until approximately 10.30 p.m., dozens of concerned citizens flooded their local police department phone lines with urgent calls to be like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Um, and there were reports of, you know, the, the reports that police got included things like, uh, floating orbs, a V-shaped craft the size of several football fields hovering above the city of Phoenix. Ginormous. Um, 
some people said that it took off at a tremendous speed, um, that it was over a mile or two mile ride in some estimations. And while the glowing orbs remains mostly stationary, the V-shaped object hovered south. Um, and even though pilots in the Phoenix area notified air traffic controllers of what they were seeing, none of them saw anything out of the ordinary on the radars, which I think is really interesting. And then mm. just as suddenly as these lights appeared, the lights went out. It moved on. So weird. Initial initial reports for this came in at about 6.55 um, Pacific Standard Time. But for the sake of this, we'll, we'll go by Mountain standard time okay uh so let's we'll call it 755 okay um so the first first report at 655 was or sorry 755 i just clarified myself <laughs> and then went back <laughs> at 755 it was a man who reported seeing a v-shaped object above henderson nevada he said it was about the size of a boeing 747 which is a big, massive airplane big um it's that's like you're like you're going you're going overseas Mm-hmm. You're probably gonna go on a plane that's that size. Yeah. Um a longer flight. Yeah. Um, he said that it sounded like rushing wind and had uh it, that it had six lights on its like leading edge. So like the front part of it had those big six lights. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lights reportedly traversed northwest to the southeast. Um, and then an unidentified former police officer from Paulden, Arizona, is claimed to have seen the Ears claimed to have been the next person to report a sighting after leaving his house at about, and we're also doing army time now. Okay. 2015 <laughs> Mountain Standard Time. Okay. So 20. I didn't minus feel like doing the math. Is 8, 815? Perfect. <laughs> I guess. So this would be like 20 minutes later. Okay. Um, claims to have been the ne- next person. So he was driving north and saw a cluster of reddish or orange lights in the sky, uh, comprising four lights together and a fifth light trailing them. So again, six lights, but like it mm-hmm. looks a little different. Yeah. Each of the individual lights in the formation appeared to the witness to consist of two separate point sources of orange light. Which already I'm like, kind of like, these are details. This isn't just like, I saw a thing in the sky. Like, <laughs> there's the details I saw, here. I saw, I saw a thing in the sky. There was a big thing. <laughs> it had lots. Anyway. Oh, my God. So he sees it. He returns home and watched the lights through binoculars until they disappeared south over the horizon. So, like, it moved, and I know the reports that it moved, like, at tremendous speed, but, like, mm-hmm. initially, pretty slow. Yeah. The fact that he could go home and get binoculars. Uh-huh. Like, that thing's not in a hurry. It's no. It's just hovering. Exactly. So, about two minutes later, the lights were reportedly seen in the areas of Prescott and Prescott Valley. So, at about... 817 Mountain Standard Time, callers began reporting the object was definitely solid because it blocked out much of the starry sky as it passed over. Whoa. So we're talking massive, massive object blocking out the starlight. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, Devin Lorenz and his aunt Jamie were standing outside on his porch in Prescott Valley when they noticed a cluster of lights to the north or sorry, the west-northwest of their position. 
The lights formed a triangular pattern, but all of them appeared to be red, except the light at the nose of the object, which was distinctly white. Hmm. The object or objects, which had been observed for approximately two to three minutes with binoculars, then passed directly over the observers and were seen to uh, bank to the right and then disappeared in the night sky to the southeast of Prescott Valley. Uh, the altitude of this object, it couldn't be determined, but the object was fairly low and made no sound whatsoever. So a little different from that first uh, report yeah. of rushing wind. Right. Um, the National UFO Reporting Center received the following report from the Prescott area. They, Someone reported, we observed five yellow-white lights in a V formation moving slowly from the northwest across the sky to the northeast, then turn almost due south and continue until out of sight. The point of the V was in the direction of movement. The first three lights were were in a fairly tight V, while two of the lights were further back along the lines of the V's legs. During the northwest-northeast transit, one of the trailing lights moved up and joined the three and then dropped back to the trailing position. I estimated the three-light V to cover about 0.5 degrees of sky and the whole group of five lights to cover about one degree of sky, which Mm. You know, this they're reporting this to the National UFO Reporting Center. I feel like yeah. they knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. It's very specific, and I have no idea what you mean, sir. <laughs> no, but they did. They could they could paint a picture with that. Mm-hmm. It it basically was a good report in that it it kind of questioned is this one like majorly big object or is it Several, several smaller objects information that are gr- exactly that are information or grouped together to look very big um so then it moves right so we get our first sighting from phoenix uh tim lay and his wife bobby his son hal and his grandson 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 uh, <laughs> grandkid damien first saw the lights when they were above prescott valley about 65 miles away 65 miles away from where i am that is further than san francisco which none of you really know what that but like to me that's wild yeah 65 miles away um so at first the lights appeared to them as five separate distinct lights in an arc shape as if they were on top of a balloon, but they soon realized that the lights appeared to be moving towards them. Over the next 10 minutes or so, the lights appeared to come closer. The distance between the lights increased, and they took on the shape of an upside-down V. Hmm. Eventually, when the lights appeared to be a couple of miles away, the witnesses could make out a shape that looked like a 60-degree carpenter square with five lights set into it and one at the front and two at each side. Soon, the object with the embedded lights appeared to be coming right down the street where they lived, about 100 to 150 feet above them. Like, that is not that much distance. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was traveling so slowly that it appeared to hover and was silent. The object then seemed to pass over their heads and went through a V opening in the peaks of the mountain range towards Squaw Peak Mountain and toward the direction of Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. 
Witnesses in Glendale, a suburb northwest of Phoenix, saw the object pass overhead at an altitude high enough to become obscured by the thin clouds. And this was at approximately 8.30, 8.45 Mountain Standard Time. Okay. Gotcha. Wow. So it's arrived in Phoenix, right? So mm-hmm. when, when it arrived, or when it entered the area, I should say, Bill uh, Grenier, a cement driver, was hauling a load down a mountain north of Phoenix, and he described the second group of lights by saying, I'll never be the same. Before this, if anybody had told me they saw a UFO, I would have said, yeah, and I believe in the tooth fairy. Now I've got a whole new view, and I may be just a dumb truck driver, but I've seen something that don't belong here. (gasps) Whoa. He stated that the lights hovered over the area for more than two hours. What? That's a long time. And I... For anything to hover. I really... Exactly. I To me, when you see a UFO, I think a lot of times you know it. You know. There's some sort of intuition. Like, granted, that's not normal. But also, I think there's something in you that just, you know. Yeah, like, uh, you don't belong here. normal. <laughs> yes. So after Phoenix, um, after it moved from Phoenix, a report came from a young man in the Kingman area who stopped his car at a payphone to report the incident. He was on his way to L.A. and he called from a phone booth to report having seen a large and bizarre cluster of stars moving slowly in the northern sky. So this dude thinks they were stars. Okay. I don't think they were stars, but okay, dude. So those were like the calls coming in. So for Mm -hmm. the first incident, the first event, um, those are sometimes called the Prescott slash Dewey lights. So television station KSAZ reported that an individual named Richard Curtis recorded a detailed video Mm -hmm. that purportedly showed the outline of a space cat. (laughs) Spacecraft. A space cat. (laughs) Is it? Any wonder I need speech therapy? I mean, come on. (laughs) Um, So he says he has this video, but that uh, it's been lost. But I've seen videos of the Phoenix Lights. There are videos. So there are other videos. Okay. I was going to say, is this a Mandela effect? Because I know I've seen them. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's, there's, and I'll post them. There's a number okay. of videos. I was going through, I was like, oh, I'll save this one. I'll save that one. I was like, there's so many. Like, I'm just going to wait <laughs> and then post them in the stories as we go. Yeah. We're going to have like um, a very full carousel in our yes, like Instagram post because I want to include like, I, there's so many good images of the case that I just covered. And I bet mm-hmm. you're going to have a ton of really good images for yours too. Yeah. I'll keep some of them short and then like some of like the videos maybe in the stories. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll okay. See. Okay. Okay. You get 10 images. <laughs> um, okay. So the only other known videos of this is of poor quality and shows a group of lights with a clear discernible outline of a V shape fitting the description of what many witnesses reported. A cleaned up and enhanced copy of the video can be viewed on YouTube. Enhance. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'd be now, very interested event, to know how they enhanced it. Right. Because just as like a person who works in the digital realm, um, did they have some very, very fancy software with like predictive algorithm or something? Because the pixels you have are the p- pixels you get. Like you can't right. create more pixels to increase the resolution. It just doesn't have the information like it. I'm wondering if it's like contrast. Yeah, I wonder if it's like yeah, they maybe they put a filter that kind of reveals some extra details. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But I always like I get really I don't know I giggle whenever there's like a moment where they're like enhance and suddenly like the blurry ass image is crystal clear. Oh yeah, that's uh, Bones was my fucking show for a long time, <laughs> and that always drove me crazy. Like I get they're like these really like smart genius scientist and it's like hollywood like, right you know yeah yeah no i don't think that's the case here which uh the videos they are still pretty blurry there's nothing that looks like it was filmed on like an iphone and this is like what 20 <laughs> so, years ago right um a little more yeah so i mean it's, it's this is gonna Not- be like from people's camcorders and stuff like think of the quality yeah. of when you look at old family videos on the old camcorder, like that's yeah, that's the quality resolution that we're t- exactly we're working with. Yeah, pretty bad. But I think I have that video. I'll I'll see. Um, but now during the Phoenix event when it moved mm-hmm. there, numerous still photographs and videotapes were made, distinctly showing a series of lights appearing at a regular interval, remaining illuminated for several moments. And then going out. So these images have been repeatedly aired on documentary television channels such as the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, Mm -hmm. especially during their like UFO uh, documentary programming. Right. The most frequently seen sequence shows what appears to be an arc of lights appearing one by one, then going out one by one. UFO advocates claim that these images show that the lights were some form of running lights or um, other aircraft illumination along the leading edge of the of the craft, estimated to be as large as a mile in diameter, hovering over oh the city of Phoenix. My God, can you imagine an aircraft a mile long? I can't. I can't. That's a tiny ginormous. Bit, a tiny bit, just because of Independence Day. Oh, I got, yeah. I have that visual. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But different. <laughs> but to actually like witness it in person, though, and See be it like, in person? that is yeah. ginormous. Yep. Uh, that would that would be scary. That would be scary to look out and see. Just even if you were, if they were like, "Hello, we're really <laughs> nice aliens," it would still be like, if you fell. From the sky right now. <laughs> you know what's so funny is like when people. How many people would you kill? <laughs> when people think of aliens, they they think of it in terms of like to scale res- relatively to us as humans. Like maybe they're a little smaller, maybe right. they're a little bigger. But what if they live in a world where shit's like fucking bigger, like they're giants? Yeah, I think about that all the time. Or I don't know what if, it would fit in like the what tiny if spacecraft? we are the giants to some species of extraterrestrials and that's why they've we haven't caught them oh is because they're tiny 
there's there's a hilarious episode of the twilight zone like the original mm-hmm. where it's this person in like the shack and there's like this little ufo and like this little like alien in a spacesuit comes out and there there's like this fight at the end of it you find out that the little alien and the little spacecraft was human and they landed on a planet of giants uh yeah you see <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> Case in point. <laughs> yes. I just scientifically it proved has- my theory. <laughs> <laughs> Via the Twilight Zone. <laughs> the original one. <laughs> oh, my God. I highly recommend that show if you're in for a good laugh. Yeah. I've- They're- they were good. Yeah. I-, I enjoyed those. Some of them creeped the fuck out of me, though. Some, some episodes. Yeah. Like the one yeah. with um, when the grandma passes and she keeps calling little girl and trying to convince the girl to like kill herself to be with her on the other side like that one scared the shit out of me i one that really got to me uh was the guy who he's the last person on earth yes and (gasps) that's another all his books and then his his glasses break that one was morbidly that was like dark humor (laughs) that was i but at the same time I, i was kind of like are there no glasses anywhere? Like a store? Does no one sell? Maybe his eyes Did were so shitty that he had to get them special ordered, and those were the only glasses made for him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah, because they they made those glasses really thick too, to, for you to be like, yeah, oh, they did. He can't just go to a drugstore to find like those reading glasses mm-hmm. that you can just get at the front. <laughs> I I still I always thought like he could have done something, but at the same time, like being the only part, like that would suck. That would really suck. Yeah. Anyway, was that the Blues Clues song? That was Blue. Yeah, that was Blues Clues. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, did you see Steve's on TikTok? And he has like the nicest videos. Stop. He is a treasure, and he must be protected at all costs. I started crying. I came across mm-hmm. one and I was like, oh, this is cute. And it's it's him being basically like, being... I'm here to listen to you the way yeah. you deserve to be listened to. And I like I just started crying. I'm like, uh. I know. Yeah. A treasure. A national treasure. That man. Absolutely. Um, I should probably have access to the UFOs. OK, back to um. UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> If I can find where I was. Oh, yeah. Okay. So other similar sequences reportedly taken over a period of 30 minutes show differing number of lights. Laughing at Domino. Yeah. Her mouth was just so wide holding on to that thing. She's obsessed with this ball. We got like she won't let Bishop play with it. So we got a second one. And now they're both hers. <laughs> she has she has the ball that goes like anywhere in the house and outside. Yeah. And she's bedtime ball. It has to come to bed and it goes on the headboard. Oh, my God. So we have like a shelf kind of headboard. Mm-hmm. She loves it. She loves it more than anything. Oh. And Graham jokes all the time. He's like, I'm going to blow her mind one day and I'm going to open it and get that green ball out. <laughs> oh, my God. There's she, a little green ball inside. She might self-implode. <laughs> <laughs> Or just be pissed because, like, 
that's what makes it exciting. Oh, <laughs> yeah. She can't get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Her and that ball. Okay. So thousands of witnesses throughout Arizona also reported a silent mile-wide V or boomerang-shaped craft with varying numbers of huge orbs. A significant number of witnesses reported that the craft was slightly gliding, silently gliding. Slightly silently. Slightly silently (laughs) gliding directly overhead (laughs) at low altitude. The first-hand witnesses consistently reported that the lights appeared as canisters of swimming lights. What? While the underbelly the, of the craft was undulating. What the fuck like did that even mean? Water. Were they high? What? Swimming lights? I I actually get it. Like, if there was a... Like, remember my, my story before I was a co-host, and I sent in a story of seeing a light in my room. It looked like that. It looked as if, like, someone was shining a light on water, like moving water. So, like, lights, like, what a light looks like underwater. A little bit, yeah. Okay. Like, like it's not just a light. Like, there's something over it that's, like, do-do-do, do-do-do, do-do-do. Gotcha. Um, so, skeptics claim that the, that the, the video showing this is, Oh, wait. That the video is evidence that mountains not visible at night partially obstructed views from certain angles, thereby bolstering the claim that the lights were more distant than UFO advocates claim. Okay. UFO advocate Jim Delatoso claimed to have performed spectral, and this is in parentheses, spectral analysis of photographs and video imagery that proved the lights could not have been produced by a man-made source. Mm -hmm. He also claimed to have used software called Image Pro Plus to determine the amount of red, green, and blue in the various photographic and video images and construct histograms of the data, which were then compared to several photographs known to be of flares. Because as I'll get to in a little bit, a lot of people who were skeptics claimed that these were flares from well i mean yeah flares do like hang out for a bit up in the sky Mm -hmm. and stay lit yeah they don't block out they don't block out stars but like no that part is they are they are bright yeah um but like to have released flares in that perfect formation though still like come on and for what yeah and for what for what for what and moving (laughs) (laughs) so several sources have pointed out that this idea is impossible to determine um that the spectral signature of the light source based solely on photographic or video imagery as film and electronics inherently alter the spectral signature of a light um of a light source by shifting hue in the visible spectrum and experts in spectroscopy spectroscopy have dismissed his claims as being scientifically invalid. Okay. Words, man. Uh, Normal photographic equipment also eliminates light outside of the visible spectrum, Mm e.g., like, example, infrared and ultraviolet. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
And that would be necessary for like a complete spectral analysis, which is super true. That is true. So the maker of Image Pro Plus Media Cybernetic has stated that its software is incapable of performing spectroscopic analysis. Yeah. As I was going to say, the information you get is the information you get. It's all you got to have to work with. You can't. This is 1997 too. Yeah. Y'all. Think. For my other designers out there, think where Photoshop was at in that point in history. (laughs) Prehistoric. So Cognitech, who is an independent video laboratory, superimposed video imagery taken off of the Phoenix lights onto video imagery it shot during daytime from the same location. In the composite image, the lights are seen to, to extinguish at the moment they reach the Estrella mountain range, which is visible in the daytime, but invisible in the footage shot at night. A broadcast by local Fox Broadcasting Company affiliate KSAZ-TV claimed to have performed a similar test that showed the lights were in front of the mountain range and suggested that the Cognitech data might have been altered. Sure, Fox. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but like also new station versus, I don't know. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Dr. Paul Scowin, a visiting professor of astronomy at Arizona State University, performed a third analysis using daytime imagery overlaid with video shot of the lights and his findings were consistent with Cognitech. Okay. The Phoenix New Times uh, subsequently reported the television station had simply overlaid two video tracks on a video editing machine without using a computer to match the zoom and scale of the two images. Of course. So, on to the public response, because clearly people must be freaking out, right? Yeah. There was minimal news coverage at the time. Of the incident. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. In Phoenix, a small number of local news outlets noted the event, but it received little attention beyond that. They tried. However, on June 18th, USA Today ran a front page story that brought national attention to the case. This was followed by news coverage on the ABC and NBC television networks, and the case quickly caught the popular um, imagination and has since become a staple of UFO-related documentary television, including specials produced by, as I mentioned earlier, the History Channel and the Discovery Channel. So um, when it was addressed locally, uh, it was addressed by the governor at the time. So former Arizona governor, um, Governor Symington. Okay. So he says he saw a UFO during the 1997 Phoenix lights. Oh. Shortly after the lights, um, he held a press conference stating that they found who was responsible. Hmm. Who? He proceeded to He proceeded to make light of the situation by bringing his aide on stage dressed in an alien costume. And, um, like, even just, like, the little beginning of that, you see, like, what he did. Okay. He basically. Let's take a look here at this video. I think if you skip to, like, about two minutes into it. That's a huge-ass alien. (laughs) 
Like I said, he brings his aide on stage dressed in an alien costume, but it's like this silvery, like shiny outfit with like these long alien like fingers. And then a huge alien head. Alien head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He completely made light of it. However, in March 2007, Symington said that he had witnessed one of the crafts of unknown origin during the 1997 event. Like now he's not joking. Um, but he he didn't go public with that information. Right. I think he got nervous. Well, um, in I an mean, interview, he's, he's a governor. People could have like criticized him for, yeah. oh my gosh, our governor is a UFO enthusiast and like lost credibility or something. Yep, I get yeah. it. But it took him ten years, but he admitted, like, no, I did see something. I just, I didn't say. Um, in an interview with the Daily Courier. In Prescott, Arizona, he said, quote, I'm a pilot and I know just about every machine that flies. It was bigger than anything I've ever seen. It remains a great mystery. Other people saw it. Responsible people. I don't know why people would ridicule it. Which, like, you did. I mean, yeah, you. (laughs) Yeah. He also said it was enormous and inexplicable. Who knows where it came from? A lot of people saw it, and I saw it too. It was dramatic, and it couldn't have been flares because it was too symmetrical. It had a geometric outline, a constant Mm -hmm. shape. And Mm -hmm. that's pretty consistent through all the videos and um, pictures that are shown. He also noted that he requested information from the commander of Luke Air Force Base, the general of the National Guard, and the head of the Department of Public Safety, but oh. none of the officials he contacted had an answer for what happened and were also perplexed. Oh, my God. Later, no. he responded to an Air Force explanation that the lights were flares by saying, as a pilot and a former Air Force officer, I can definitively say that this craft did not resemble any man-made object I've ever seen. And it was certainly not high altitude flares because flares don't fly in formation. Again, just as I said earlier, exactly. Yeah. I've cracked episode- the case. It's on me. <laughs> Tell me. Told it. I told y'all. You heard it here. <laughs> In an episode of the television show UFO Hunters called The Arizona Lights, Symington said that he uh, contacted the military asking what the lights were and that there, he says in this interview, that their response was just no comment. Um, he hmm. pointed out that he was the governor of Arizona at the time. Yeah. Not just like some ordinary person thinking that might get him the answer, but no. Nope. Yeah. But still, um, no. Mm. No. Francis Barwood. Uh, The 1997 Phoenix City Councilwoman who launched an investigation into the event said that over the that over um, the 700 witnesses that she interviewed, Mm -hmm. the government never interviewed even one of them. What? Yeah. Poor Kay. So some explanations were obviously looked into. Um, there's some controversy as to how best classify the reports on the night in question. Mm-hmm. Some are of the opinion that the differing nature of the eyewitnesses, eyewitness reports indicates that several unidentified objects were in the area, um, each of which was its own separate event. But this is 
largely dismissed by skeptics as an over-extrapolation from the kind of deviation common in necessary subjective eyewitness accounts. Oh. The media and most skeptical investigators have largely preferred to split the sightings into two distinct classes. The first and second event for which two separate explanations are offered. Already, like, I'm not game because, like, this was clearly something that moved. Like, that's yeah. too much of a coincidence to be two separate things. But yeah. anyway, so that first event before Phoenix, the V which appeared over northern Arizona and gradually traveled south over nearly the entire length of the state, eventually passing south of Tucson, was the apparently... Uh, wedge-shaped object reported by then-Governor Symington and others. So that's what they're calling that. Okay. Proponents of two separate events um, propose that the first event still has no provable explanation. <laughs> so, like, that's their, their answer. Um, but that, some evidence exists that the lights were, in fact, airplanes. Hmm. Oh. I am not According buying it. I'm not either. Not for that price. <laughs> according, according to an article by reporter Janet Gonzalez that appeared in the Phoenix New, New Times, uh, videotape of the V-shape shows the lights moving as separate entities, not as a single object. A phenomenon known as illusory contours can cause the human eye to see unconnected lines or dots as forming a, a single shape. Mitch Stanley, an amateur astronomer, observed high-altitude lights flying in formation using a Dobsonian telescope with 43 times magnification. Oh. After, after observing the lights, he told his mother, who was present at the time, that the lights were aircraft. That's like one person. Okay, yeah. Come on. Amateur astronomer. That's what I'd call myself, too. I've got a telescope. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which I do have to say there is something to that. If you are an amateur astrologer, our former roommate once was like, well, look at this fucking crazy light in the sky. And he's like looking through his through. It wasn't his telescope. It was through his camera. He had a camera with like a really zoomed in lens and it looked like mm -hmm. this crazy orb shape. And I pulled out my telescope and was like, it's a fucking it's a light. It's just. I don't know why it shows up like that for you, but it's a light. Well, was, so, it, like, was it like a street light? <laughs> what was it? No, like it was a star, but it was just like oh. just a singular light. Gotcha. Like, I, okay. It, so it can, I'm just saying it can vary like what you're looking with. So like, I mean, if you see something crazy, cool, but like can't base everything off just that. Anyway, the second event which was the set of nine lights which appeared to hover over the city of Phoenix. Um, that was the one that was more thoroughly covered by the media uh, just because of how many reports there were for it. I mean, Phoenix is a huge city. Yeah. Like geographically um, huge. Yes. And these people that who reported these lights, some of them were people who also saw the first lights too. So there was some crossover because people were driving. They were on their yeah. way and just kind of went with the lights. So the U.S. Air Force explained the second event as slow-falling, low-burning LUU-2B slash B illumination flares dropped by a flight of four A-10 Warthog aircraft on a training exercise at the Barry Goldwater Range at western Pima County. 
That is like the most specific thing I've ever heard in my life. Also, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. According to this explanation, the flares would have been visible in Phoenix and appeared to hover due to rising heat from the burning flares, creating a balloon effect um, on their parachutes, which slowed the descent. The lights then appeared to wink out as they fell behind the Sierra Estrella mountain range to the southwest of Phoenix. A Maryland Air National Guard pilot, Lieutenant Lieutenant Colonel Ed Jones, responding to a March 2007 media query, confirmed that he had flown one of the aircraft in the formation that dropped flares on the night in question. The squadron to which he belonged was in fact at Davis-Monthan AFB, Arizona, on a training exercise at the time and flew training sorties to the Barry Goldwater Range on the night in question, according to the Maryland Air National Guard. A history of the Maryland Air National Guard published in 2003, or sorry, just 2000, uh, asserted that the squadron, the 104th Fighter Squadron, was responsible for the incident. The first reports that members of the Maryland National Air National Guard were responsible for the incident were published in the Arizona Republic newspaper in July 1997. So even though they were like telling the governor no comment, no answer, mm-hmm. they still tried to be like, actually, yes. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Here <God>. we go. <laughs> Military flares, such as the ones that they claimed were dropped, can be seen from hundreds of miles given ideal environmental conditions. Which I already kind of don't think Arizona would be. I'm like, that would be like flares over san francisco like there's so many city lights fog Mm -hmm. comes in like granted there's probably not fog in phoenix but like i can't imagine that would be considered ideal environmental conditions but that's just me uh later comparisons with known military flare drops were reported on local television stations showing similarities between the known flare drops and the phoenix lights an analysis of the luminosity of the luu-2b Slash B, illumination <laughs> flares, um, determined that the luminosity of such flares at a range of approximately 50 to 70 miles would fall well within the range of the lights viewed from Phoenix. All that being said, there are still many, many, many people who believe that this was an aircraft, that it was a very massive aircraft. Um, if you look up video, photos, Clearly, this was something. The fact that the military wants to say that, oh, they were just flying information and dropped some flares. Like, okay, first of all, their first comment was, their first people? comment was no comment because they're like, shit, guys. Right. We have to think of an explanation or else people are going to keep asking questions. Yeah. Very convenient that they had time to think. And then later on, you're like, they're like, oh, actually, <laughs> we have an answer. <laughs> Yeah, and I just it you can't you I for something that massive mm-hmm. for those many reports, why wouldn't you give a warning to people? Why wouldn't you contact the news stations to be like, oh, you guys, mm-hmm. like, don't worry about it. We were just testing. Like, why be sneaky? Yeah, if it was you. Yeah, and that like, other aircraft didn't see anything on their radar. Like. I'm sorry, 
but we are alerted whenever like the blue angels come so that people aren't like oh my god like what's going on you know we're alerted for anything the the local scanner page had to be like look guys that helicopter that everyone is hearing is blah 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 like yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah there, there's there's like i i don't know i just i don't buy it um and why would they drop flares in a formation for no reason like it just doesn't make sense to me and like over a ginormous city that can cause um like alarm and that with so many know. people witnessing that that don't know what's going on right and it moved it moved the lights were moving that's what really gets to me and, like, they were it... seen from northern Arizona and traveled all the way to Phoenix. Yeah. That first one was formation. Nevada. The yeah, very first wild. one was Nevada, Henderson, Nevada. So, like, I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> we say no. We believe. Military. We believe. I believe. Yeah. I, th- I think it was an aircraft. I've seen... A UFO before. Um, you have? I have. I was at my 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 parents' house because I was a kid. And um, I was where I should have been. And mm-hmm. they, in the upstairs, there was, like, the computer room. And they had it set up, right? There was, like, a window that when you look out, you see the Sonoma Mountains. Yeah. And um, super super common to see like little lights on the mountain of like the houses and stuff like that yeah and i'm on the computer and i look up and there's this like bright like golden golden orange like ball but it had it looked like god i've never seen anything that looked exactly like it like like there was fuck i don't even know how to describe it like light bubbling off of it Weird. Like, I don't even know if that makes sense. And it, like, it moved. It moved in several directions. And it left, like, a trail of bubbling light after it. What? And and then it just shot up and went away. (gasps) Laura, why have you never told me this story? Uh... I don't know. I Part of me kind of thought I had. But, um, it gave, like, it, it, it gave me chills, but not, like, scared chills. It was, like, excited like did i really just see that yeah like you just witnessed something fucking cool and i went to school the next day i think it was in middle school and um i mentioned it to someone in my class and she was like oh we saw a light too at a restaurant everyone in the restaurant saw it and they were (gasps) calling um what's the local military base it's the one Uh, in fairfield i think isn't it yeah travis yeah um, she said, like, yeah, we people were calling that the airbase. They were calling the um like nine one one to be like, what is mm-hmm. that in the sky? Um, because it didn't move like something falling. It didn't move like like uh how nowadays people would see the fucking SpaceX shit taking off mm-hmm. or rockets where it, it's there's a tra- there's a trajectory, right? Yeah, you can um, see the trail. This was yeah, this was not that. This was something moving a little bit differently. So, and did they see it shoot that, up into the sky also? Like, yeah, that? wow. But when she said she saw it, she said that it looked more of like blue white light. So oh, I don't know why I saw a different color, but like 
she described it in a similar way. Um, And this was someone like I've in the past years, I've wondered, like, did she just totally like lie to me? Like, I mean, I know what I saw, but it Mm -hmm. always made me feel better to know that like somebody else, other people saw it too. Um, But she's just, she's just, she's not that kind of person. She was always the nicest like, no matter who you were, she was nice to you. She was never yeah. – she was the cool girl. She was the cool – like, she was popular, but she was cool because she was just nice, nice to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's my UFO story that I saw. Wow. UFO. It was really cool. Um, But, like, that, like I said, it's one of those things. You see it. You just kind of know, like, that's, that's not normal. And, you know, even if it was military, for what? <laughs> Why yeah. here? It doesn't make sense. No. It really doesn't. And um, there's just worldwide, there's too many reports of visitations of stuff. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there's but, weird shit yeah. in, out in this world, man. There really is. It's a wild There's time. stuff, and I totally get the, like, alien UFO conspiracies. I do love diving into them. Doesn't mean I believe them. But to me, it's just that one thing that, like, who knows? Who fucking knows? It's, why wouldn't it be possible that yeah. we're being visited? Oh, my gosh. Request heck? for um, a batch of UFO stories. Anyone out there? write in i want to hear your ufo sighting stories for our listeners episodes even like abduction potential abduction stories like i swear i had something happen i always wondered if it was an abduction what girl am i just sharing all these stories yeah so i had a dream that i was like i know what i'm dreaming right i can lucid dream this was a dream where i was very aware that i was i i was sleeping i was like okay i'm dreaming i couldn't control anything couldn't change anything Hmm. which was weird and i was in a room it was like this one story kind of building where the walls um i knew i think it might have been like a u-shaped building it was at least an l shape but i couldn't see any doors in or out it was just like windows lining the wall so there was lots of yeah. lights coming in it was kind of like you could see bushes outside i'm actually wondering if it was more of like a square shape cuz it seemed like um the outside the windows was like a little what do you call that where it's like you can go outside like and a courtyard chill yeah like a courtyard there you go mm-hmm. <laughs> um and it the, in this room, this long room, it was like benches and it was a bunch of us sitting there in like white gowns and no one was nervous, but everyone was kind of like, well, what are we doing here? I don't know. Like, just go with the flow, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had to go into. Actually, there I have two dreams. OK, so there was this one where I went into the room and I was standing. It was like kind of a white room. And there was a big window in front of me and there were these cords coming down from the ceiling. And then a thing attached to my head. And it basically there was an experiment. So they were sending like shockwaves or something through my brain. And they just did that. And like I can almost still feel it. It was painful. It did not feel good. And then they hooked these things up to my fingers that looked almost like old school like phone cords. 
that you plug yeah. into the wall. Yeah. Um, phone jacks. It looked like that um, yeah. to my fingers. And when they did that, then they sent it through me. And then it actually felt kind of good. Like, it didn't feel bad. Wait, what did they look like? I couldn't see them. They were behind the, like, mirror thing. I It's like I could kind I knew. And this is where it trips me up. I knew they were supposed to look like doctors. Mm-hmm. But I could not tell what their faces looked like. Like, I, their face does not show up in my brain at all, even like, though, like, I should have seen it. Yeah. I didn't. Interesting. Um, So that happened. And then there was another one, now that I'm remembering, where I was um, having brain surgery. I was, like, laying, and they were explaining to me. And again, there's were like doctors but i couldn't see their like i should have been able to see their faces Mm -hmm. i don't didn't see faces can't remember them um and they were explaining to me that anytime you do anything with the brain you have to be awake um because you can't you don't want to mess up and it's a good indication like they want to check and that's then it is true of brain surgery they do you know whenever they can want you awake um and so they were doing something and I could like kind of feel them stuff happening but I like not no pain or anything like that yeah and then when I woke up I had like a like a really bad headache that centered from that spot and um I felt really fuzzy my mouth tasted like like I had a mouthful of pennies it just oh. tasted really bad mm-hmm. um I had that after the the first one too which that when I like trying to, you know, not sound crazy. I was like, which also seemed crazy. I was like, did I have a seizure in my sleep or something? And that's mm-hmm. what all like the jolts were. Right. Um, but the the headache that I had from that second one lasted for about two weeks, like bad, bad wow. headache. And then it started to wear off. Um, Jeez. So like, I mean, I do have weird dreams. I have super intense very realistic dreams but these always stuck with me wow that's oh my gosh that's so interesting and now i would like for them to come back and fix my ovaries and fallopian tubes but (laughs) they're not coming so Mm. i don't know maybe maybe someday send out my alien vibes (laughs) i'm ready guys Oh, man, that was really good coverage of that. I remember seeing the video and just reading very briefly about that incident or event, Mm -hmm. Phoenix Lights. Um, But I didn't know, like, all of those details. That was really cool to learn more about it. I'm glad to share. I love the alien stuff. Like, You do. Yeah. I really do. That's great. Um, I know we have a lot of UFO enthusiasts you know out there listening too so gotta keep the listeners happy oh man well that is um our show everybody thank you so much for tuning in and also thank you for your understanding and skipping last week we already kind of explained why but again we thank you but catch us Mm -hmm. next week for our very special witchy episode our interview with author veronica varlow um, who wrote Bohemian Magic. Um, it's a gorgeous book. I, I got my book in the mail this weekend. It's beautiful. Okay. It's a work of art. I'm just telling you, it's it so really well is. done. 
And this interview was such a joy to have. And truly, as we said, magical. Definitely listen to the next week. Um, until then, you can uh, follow us on the social meds at The New Witches. Um, everywhere pretty much. You can check out our website, thenewitches.com if you'd like to get in touch with us um, or send in a listener submission, whether that's a story or a question, you can go to our contact page. Another way to do that is you can email us directly at thenewwitches at gmail.com. And we have a Google voicemail box. So if you'd like to um, tell us with your own voice your question or story, you can call 707-559-8111 and it gives you three minutes uh, to leave your voicemail to us. Um, it, it goes straight to voicemail. You don't have to speak with anybody, but it does cut you off at three minutes. Um, mm -hmm. If you'd like to support the podcast, uh, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever listening platform um, allows you to rate and review. It really helps, you know, our standings and ratings, obviously. Tell your friends and family about us. Um, and lastly, a really great way to support is finding us on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash new witches. And as a patron, we give you exclusive benefits, lots of great goodies um, there. And uh, we appreciate and love all of our patrons. You're added to our Facebook community. You're added to our close friends list on Instagram. You're given a handwritten thank you note. Um, Bonus episodes every month. Lots of good stuff. So definitely check that out. Patreon.com slash the new witches. Um, that's our show, Bye. everybody. Thank you so much. Stay witchy. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye. Bye.